Did you you didn't you didn't fumble your role on your hear your hearing role? Hello and welcome back to Elevating the Genre, episode one, volume two. That's right. We are your co-hosts. I am Christopher Morrison, and that man is Dama. Dama, and we are here to talk about all things that make smart, geeky stuff actually smart and mostly geeky. And that's right. You did not mishear, or how do you? I don't know. Did you? You didn't. You didn't fumble your role on your hear your hearing role. What was that? <laughs> Did not miscalculate. You did not miscalculate. That is right. We are. We are. This is our second number one episode uh, because we we believe in 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 the comic book way of doing things, and we just hit a fucking re- restart button uh, just for giggles and shits and giggles. Yeah. Uh, maybe you checked us out. We also had a second yeah. episode zero last week. Um, but if you did miss that, just a real quick overview. Of what's happening is we're still the same podcast you know and love, which just we've changed. Um, not really format, but sort of a, a way we sort of approach everything. We are now approaching things from like a month viewpoint, meaning we will pick uh, uh, every every month we will pick a, a category of stuff uh, to talk about. Uh, and this month for the month of October is uh, sci-fi tropes. Um, so today, to start us off with that, we're going to talk about, we're going to zero in on some Star Trek. Now, I know we've talked a little bit about Star Trek in the past, but again, one of the reasons that Dom and I just, uh, we decided to do this was we really wanted to take a sort of a nice, this will give us a month long to do a deep dive on just all the stuff, sci-fi, and uh, and we'll use each, sort of at least this for October, we'll use each week as a, as a we'll focus on an IP, but really just as a way to sort of enter in and, and talk about grander things. Um Dom, you got something Based smart. Science fiction man. quadruple feature, if you will. There you go. I, I like that. Rocky Horror fans. Yes, there it is, baby. Um, so, uh, like I said, today we're going to talk about uh, Star Trek. We're going to dive back into Star Trek. But uh, first off, we have uh, that has not changed. Uh, we always start with what's elevating our genre. Um, <clears throat> and I'll start us off today. Um, so what's elevating? Uh, I'm sorry. What's elevating our genre? Sorry, segment. If you haven't, if this is the first episode you, you joined us. What's elevating our genre is where we talk about. We try to turn you on to what we think is smart and cool currently out in the geeky world. Might be old. Might be new. Uh, might be shiny. Might be blue. I don't know. Whatever. Um, so for me, um, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, harken back to a little. It's October, so um, I'm gonna harken back to a little comic book called Hellblazer that maybe uh, some of y'all's might have either slept on or missed or uh, or read and and not. Uh, I was back in the states. Or mistakenly, uh, we thought it was called Constantine. But yes. Uh, Film uh, TV versions, which that's is right. fine. Which it's is technically perfect. right. It's called. It's technically Hellblazer, John Constantine. Uh, that's right. Um, uh, and yes, for those that notice the, the similarity to Hellraiser, uh, that is not a mistake. Um, actually, that was the name that was supposed to be the name of the comic book was going to be Hellraiser, but Hellraiser the movie uh, had just dropped. Um, I think the year or like less than a year before Hellblazer number one came out, so they had it quickly. DC and uh, Karen Bergen over at Vertigo Comics quickly sort of switched it around. Hellblazer, it works. I like you know Trailblazer. There's still. I, I, I like the idea. Anyway, if you haven't, I, like I said, I was back in the states this summer to do to do a to do my yearly summer gig out on the west coast. Dom and I, that Dom was able to help me out with this year, um, and just picked up these uh, this uh, Hellblazer Hellblazer 
graphic novel number one again because I've had them all in my life before, but uh, due to certain uh, life circumstances, we did, had to lose them all. Um, so I just picked it up again. And God damn, if that isn't some of the best fucking just horror comics, uh, not just writing, but just like the the illustration is so fucking evocative of like the old EC days, but was is updated to what was the modern day at the time, which is 1989. Um, and it's just really fucking good writing and just really – and it's some scary-ass shit also on top of it all, which is really cool, all wrapped around probably one of my favorite true antiheroes of all time, John Constantine, um, who is a, truly a fucking chaotic and neutral dude who will basically just do anything to fucking stay alive um, uh, on your ass, uh, and that's – which is pretty great. Um, him and Snake Plissken are my two – probably my two favorite anti-heroes around and they both have the same attitude like they'll they'll save your life if it works out for them in the long run or they'll fucking use you in their scheme if it also works out in the long run for them to stay alive so um uh well at the still at the same time at least well with Constantine he eventually you really do unearth uh, he's got quite a, a bit of a moral compass on like <laughs> snake bliskin Begging the question, Chris, who would win in a fight between Constantine and Jake? Snake Plissken. Holy shit balls! You are a mad, crazy genius. I would have never put those two in a ring together. Favorites, like who's your most favorite? That's that's the only. Well, that's that's the question. question. Yeah, do I answer from like from who's my favorite? Rooting for there. Who would I be rooting for? God damn. Um, I must admit, I'm more drawn to like Constantine as a creator. Like, I just like. His world, his universe. It also maybe there was you know whatever three hundred and fifty Hellblazer comics. So maybe that's why I've spent. I've probably spent yeah, much more time. Definitely, I've probably spent much more time with with John Constantine than I have Snake Plissken. Um, not that I haven't seen Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. Each. Uh, well, I've probably only seen both of those movies less than five times each, but still. Um, so I'd be probably rooting for John Constantine, but at the same time, I also would love to see Snake Plissken like take john constantine's uh arrogant smug smart ass down by some kind of like that kind of weird of. gunplay trick kind of thing it could be an everybody win situation i was just curious because those are two interesting characters to, to posit as your as favorites that's my elevating the genre this week uh dom what you got this week great um elevating my genre this week um uh... I feel like I stumbled upon the nerdiest song ever written by a major rock star. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm so excited right now. True not. Have you heard of uh, Magneto and Titanium Man by Paul McCartney and Wings? Are you did fucking you know, kidding did you know me? That song existed? I'm um, not sure how no? I uh, just ran into this. But uh, in 1975, you know, we know Paul McCartney, one of the Beatles, one of the greatest rock star musicians songwriters uh-huh. never walked the earth and um you know he was in wings for a good part of the 70s that was the band after yeah. the beatles um and uh, i guess in 1975 he wrote a song called magneto and titania man which is essentially about magneto and titania man and crimson dynamo <laughs> are you kidding up me this uh, to discuss uh foibles with a bank robbery and a, a, a woman um oh my god it's, 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 it's that's some up. deep it's, shit it's right that's too. a deep cut not that Mag- i mean magneto i guess you know magneto was pretty pop was pretty was pretty big was pretty big but he was in yes. 75 like 
Not really, right? Like, I mean, Chris Claremont hadn't really ascended the X-Men at that point, and, like, Magneto was the main X-Men villain still, but, like, the X-Men comic was not doing so great. In fact, so much so that they were just reprinting fucking old issues at the time and not doing any new ones for a, quite a while there. So him oh, grabbing yeah, Magneto... No, it, was, it was it was not an attempt to be hip. Well, <laughs> obviously <laughs> not, with especially with Titanium Man and... The, and it's uh, definitely a deep cut, yeah. Wow, and Magneto. Yes, you can you can argue that Magneto should be in a song, but Titanium Man and Crimson Dynamo, for those of us know, are two other villains of uh, in the Iron Man universe who are also just guys who put on an armored suit, and they're you know basically that's that's what they do, and um, yeah. So and it's it's not like this like pumped up <laughs> rock song. It's sort of like this. One of those easygoing blues that uh, oh my god Paul does so well. It's very much it's very much like Rocky Raccoon, if you know that kind of, <laughs> kind of uh, a sort of folksy blues describing uh, a crime. It's uh, they're not not they're not called like murder bell exactly. It's not about a murder, but it's about a, a crime. Know, uh, un- underworld outlaws and, and their stories, and in this case, it's. <laughs> So does, does he detail like they they have powers or they just he just borrowed the names? They're uh, no they don't they don't go into their uh, super powered deal in the song, uh, but they are attempting to commit a crime, and uh, yeah, it's documented that Paul was a Marvel's comics fan. I'll be damned. Um, and it has something to do with um, uh, a love triangle among supervillains is, is the idea that's alluded to. Holy um, okay, sweet but, you Jesus. Know, there you go. You could, you could, maybe he just likes silly names like Rocky Raccoon or, you know, Lucy in the Sky with whatever. But, uh, but the, <laughs> so that's, that's not a silly name. But, um, but no, I, I think he uh, understood the material he was uh, – that's amazing. Way. How did this fucking fall into your life, man? How did this? Where did? How did? did you, what happened? I'm sure it had something to do with looking around for songs for karaoke or ah, okay, <laughs> and to uh, cosplay karaoke with and and, and somehow. Okay, so if you had to put that one came up being a being a super being being a superhero theme song. Excellent. Okay, super villain theme song. Okay, got it. So wait, so on a scale of one to ten, one being unlistenable and ten being amazeballs, where's the song fall? Oh well, I mean, first it's Paul McCartney you're talking about, so he never makes it as being unlistenable. There's always like, I, I, is, is, is this where is this oh, where yeah, I yeah, can yeah. is this where I confess that I don't give two shits about the Beatles? Is this where this it's happens? At this point, it's it's a useful <laughs> it's a useful thing to know. All right, this doesn't <laughs> give two shits about the Beatles. Sorry, guys. I, please send all your hate mail to Dominic. Um, but um. Okay. And, and yet, I'm sure you appreciate their significance I, in course. our timeline. Of course, absolutely. Now, wait, hold on. You don't get to weasel out of this. One to ten, motherfucker. It's Where goofy. does the song fall? It, it's a goof. It's a goofy song. It's it's a uh, seven tenths of Rocky Raccoon. I'll just say I'll put it that way. All right. And so so if you and so if you do or don't like Rocky Raccoon. All right. That's that's kind of your. That's the benchmark. You know where okay. the dividing line is going to be on on that song. All right. If you had to, if you had to destroy one of these songs forever, would you destroy Rocky Raccoon or Magneto? <laughs> oh, um, 
Well, I'm really warming to Magneto and Titanium. It has a nice <laughs> organ part. It's, it's oh, it's got organ. Oh, my God. Happy. Jesus. Rock, uh, but I have to hear this I, I've, I've, I've heard Rocky Raccoon. Uh, okay, so you're, been, you're, you're, burning, you're burning the master tape of Magneto. No, no, I'm burning, burning the master tape of Rocky Raccoon. But oh, shit. Because, um, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. All right. Well, there you go. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Dom thinks... That. I, I think that maybe Paul was war, warming up in his <laughs> of making that kind of song. In his mind, he was probably uh, getting towards Magneto and Titanium Man, but but in popular culture, of course, Rocky Raccoon is more well known. Sure. Um, anyway, so um, that's son a good of a tune. bitch, that's amazing. <laughs> now that's just that's an amazing discovery. Good on you. Thank you for sharing. All right, folks. Uh, as usual, with pathetically no no segue whatsoever because you're. Your host, your one of your co-hosts here has no game whatsoever. Star Trek from Magneto, the Crimson Dynamo, and and Titanium Man to Star Trek. So uh, usually uh, we sort of throw down a little bit of history. I don't think anybody needs a fucking history of Star Trek. So I just let me just let's just try to put into context how oh, fucking so big. much. It's the 50th anniversary, by the way. That's and one it's, of the reasons. It's one of the, other one of the contexts. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the 50th anniversary. The new television show is dropped. I guess we can call it a TV show, even though, I don't know. It sounds like there's some confusion <laughs> about like whether it's only on this CBS platform. Was the CBS platform, I was reading somewhere that the CBS platform is already dead, and that it's basically just really going out on Netflix. Is that right? Well, it doesn't work very well, I think. So uh, I, I didn't read that thing, but I, would, okay. I wouldn't be surprised if that was true. I mean, I'm sure CBS liked the idea of cashing in on the streaming mm. model as so much they might have said oh this is something anything can do we just stream shit but it's it's not um as far as i know and i've heard other reports this is not stable right just skippier than the other services it you you pay your six dollar fee and you still have to watch this geico commercial which is which we don't feel is like value for streaming and yes most people who are nerds will uh accept all that just to see the new Star Trek. Well, that's funny because I'm watching it on Netflix over here. It's day and date. Is it? It's on Netflix over here in Belgium. So I don't know. Is it also on Netflix in the States or no? I I, I don't know right now. I should. Okay, but that's how we're that's how we're getting it. So that's and again, maybe those people don't know. I'm in Belgium. Belgium, That's very good to know. Yes. So Netflix Belgium has got it. So I don't, which is nice. uh, So I'm not terribly behind. So that's good. Anyway, sorry. So yes, ladies and gentlemen, there's a new show. Oh, please, Sorry. please, please, fuck starting this thing. Why start? In that, maybe because we can't quite decide what to call it. This will be one of those things that in the future, like they have new names for entertainment, like, you know, Polovid or, you know, when they, <laughs> when they move to the future past, like, the past TV shows, they'll be referring to like, do you remember watching those? stream shows stream shows 2018 like they were tv shows and they weren't films either right it was like you know they're starting to get pods or whatever binge pods it'll be a dubious flirtation with uh excessive media technology that hopefully will evolve into something um beneficial to mankind yeah, that's all. Or maybe not. Did that make any sense? So it did. I, but, yeah. it did. I like binge pods. I really hope it becomes binge pods. I really fuck fuck that. I mean, that's going at least in the uh, elevating the genre lexicon. Binge pods, because um, it is. I get. Yeah, maybe people. If you're not aware, man, like the Netflix streaming model has changed the way we we make and watch television. Right. I mean, it's still obviously episodic, and it obviously still echoes um, terrestrial television but it's this weird hybrid of old american terrestrial 22 24 episodes uh british 
six to ten episodes uh and without commercials it's and it so it changes the way you have to you get to tell stories so it definitely made binge pod a binge pod show um hopefully we'll catch on i like that dom so well done sorry uh history will will tell history will tell um so star trek okay look people this is this is how crazy this fucking thing is right so there's been seven count them seven shows okay there's been the original show with five spinoffs and the reason i only say five because that's only six shows so what are you talking about because i almost forgot myself lest we forget that in the late 60s early 70s there was a fucking cartoon that was made of star trek which started by just cartoonizing i hate to say that word but cartooning uh, the original series, but very quickly, uh, not very quickly, I don't know how quickly, um, actually, uh, they started doing original content, but with the same voice actors. Um, so, five spinoffs, one cartoon, which was like a cartoonizing of the original series and something else, uh, until it started doing its own content and its own stuff. So that's, and the new, counting the new show. So that's seven bloody shows, right? That, that came from this. And then... And really quick, some would even count the remastered version of the uh, original series, which they did with all... New special effects shots. Ah, that would that would that would be like seven and a half because it really does add yeah. a lot. When they, uh, I have not yeah, seen those, I, I think that was a much better hybridization of yeah modern uh, sci-fi. Oh, sorry, modern uh, visual effects with mm. old stuff than say, you know, the Star Wars. Star Wars re-releases. Okay, that no, no I've never. I don't shit. think I've. I don't think I've ever seen any of those. So okay, so there you go. Ah, they're cooler. They're cooler, man. All right, uh, seven and a half. Let's call it fucking seven and a half. And then. You got to start dealing with 14, count them, 14 goddamn movies, if you can, plus, which, which includes the three, I call them requels, because whatever, it's a retcon, reboot, three, three sequels, whatever. So 11 movies based in the original universe and the next generation, uh, plus the three J.J. Re- Abrams requels. Um, I, whatever, I, call them, I blame J.J. Abrams for everything, so whatever. Um, Wait, did you say 13 or 14? There's 14 in total. Did we, did 14 movies. 14? Oh. It's 14 movies, baby. It's 14 freaking movies. Um, and that's not counting the documentaries that are out there, right, which are now officially endless because we are now in a crazy yeah. time period where basically anybody can pick up a camera and make a stupid documentary about their favorite TV show character or whatever. But even before that, um, you know, in the 80s, there were documentaries about this, about the about not just the show but the fans and all that other stuff. Um, now, here's the other thing that fucking this television show did for us. Speaking of fans, it kind of started the fan convention around the single property thing, right? There were always comic book conventions, and there were even fantasy and science fiction conventions before, but the, the mm-hmm. phrase Star Trek convention or Star Trek con was made around that. There were no fucking Lord of the Rings cons. There was no... There wasn't even a Star Wars con, um, right? Yeah. Before there was just a was just Star Trek conventions, right? And of course, in the early days, the yeah. Star Trek conventions also basically were, you know, included other things. But like, they're the first. This is the first IP. This is the first property that the fans demanded, just like a conglomeration of all their shit. And and really, some of the first cosplay probably comes out of this. I am not a, by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not a cosplayer, nor am I a cosplay historian. But my armchair guess here my armchair geeky guess here is that it probably cosplay started here um <clears throat> probably on the american side at least on the american side yeah for sure um the other thing this property did made it which i still think is fascinating is really it made household names out of a whole bunch of character actors right because if you think about this if you think about the star trek shows 
none of the captains went on to leading man career stuff. Now, this is different now with Chris <laughs> Pine, of course, but but before that, like Shatner, for whatever reason, it kind of ruined his leading man career. Um, not that he was getting a hell of a lot of work as a leading man anyway, except for in Esperanto. Yes, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. You're, there's your you Esperanto consider T.J. Hooker a worthwhile leading man role? I, that's true, don't. I guess, but that's television. I'm talking about sort of on movie in movies, right? Like even... For the level of for the level of success these places have, but anyway, this is also what I'm trying to get. I just at wanted here. to say the words T.J. Hooker. Everybody wants to say who doesn't <laughs> want to say T.J. Hooker. I understand that's true. That he's it's a bit of a it's a, that's a leading role, but um, it's on television. But if you think about it, like, uh, and maybe people don't know even from the original series, like most of the the crew that you know were working film actors, but on the character side, Leonard Nimoy, um. Uh, Leonard Nimoy, uh, d- d- Bones. Why? Who am I? Why am I forgetting his name? Help me, Bones' name. The oh, DeForest Kelly. DeForest Kelly. Um, uh, all of these guys were getting were were character actors. Were were character actors. Um, and it's really interesting that uh, I think the casting that sort of vibe carries over because I mean, look at Star Trek: The Next Generation. Like Patrick Stewart. Was was literally a nobody. He was in. He wasn't literally a nobody. Sorry, of course. He was, he was a <laughs> huge star in in British theater. In a certain context, he was a nobody. Yeah, in a certain in, in a, a certain, certain context. Yes, he was a god. He was a god, right? He was a theater god. Um, but he was in shit like Life Force, like getting literally getting turned into a puppet and getting his blood sucked out of his face. Right, that was the roles he was getting in feature films. People, oh, okay. Golly. God bless. Yeah, I know that. Life Force is fantastic. Anyway, whatever. There's a whole nother. It's October. I'm going to drop some <laughs> horror movies references. Um, <clears throat> but yes, Patrick Stewart gets basically, yeah, he, he gets puppetized and then all of his, his blood gets literally gets sucked out of his face in space. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's an awesome sequence. Um, so Patrick Stewart was not like very fucking well known. Um, and none of this start, you know, again, Jordy, you know, again, if, if people don't remember, LeVar Burton was the headliner for this fucking show. Right when it when episode one dropped, Lavar Burton was fucking title card number one. Um, he was the name I most recognized. It's true. Yeah, there you go. And again, and again, think about the careers all these people had. Like you know, Data, all all of them. Right? No, they all either stayed character actors or kind of sort of vaguely sort of wandered off into a lot of voice a lot of voice work. Right? Same thing even on Voyager. A whole bunch of character actors: Robert Beltran, um, Robert fucking Picardo, like one of the greatest you know, horror movie character actors of all time shows up on Voyager. Their casting is really interesting, right? They tend to, everybody looks good enough and everybody's fit enough, but nobody's like super leading man, super leading lady, like boom, right? Until, I don't know, about you get to seven of nine and then things start to get a little little skin tight and weird. But um, but it is interesting. Uh, yeah, they do, they do go through phases. They do go through some Sometimes phases. Sometimes they're going for the sexy teen show phase. Yeah, exactly. But but but, but, uh, but yes. But particularly the first, I think the first three shows, meaning the original series, uh, The Next Generation, and Deep Space Nine. Like again, Deep Space Nine is populated with character actors: Rene Arbuzonois, mm-hmm. um, Armin Shimmerman, uh, Michael Dorn, like uh, Avery fucking Brooks, who was you know basically Spencer for Hire's sidekick, right? Um, it's really interesting that, and they really took these character actors and made them household names, at least for the for uh, the original series and and, and the next generation, um, which I think is really fascinating. And also, we can't uh, we 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 have to mention they're a consistently a progressive multicultural cast, uh, which is something they have to do by their own setup to present this uh, future utopian society and more 
um, you know, for more or less with deviations they stick to it. Um, you know, so with starting with, you know, Ohura and Sulu. Absolutely. So I mean, it was and a big deal at the time. Right, um, which is uh, which was exactly something else. That was the next thing. Was sort of what I think. So now we can really sort of start oh, okay. breaking down, like sort of <laughs> why. So it's we just established how fucking huge it is, and and what this monster sort of did for did for fans, did for act, did for the cast and stuff like this. So let's break down some of the things about why maybe it was such a such a huge monster. And I think you just hit on the beginning of it, right? Which is this. Which is casting, right? Like, uh, which is casting and 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 Gene Roddenberry's original vision of, I, I you know, I, dare we say it, sort of post capitalism, uh, hope. Yeah. Sort of, you know, I think some people have gone on to call it a utopia, but I think it's a little too militaristic for me to call it a utopia. But um, yeah. I have a tiny little story about that Gene Roddenberry thing, but I can I can Please. add it later. No, 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 John, throw down, man. Fuck it, we're here, we're on the creator, so I think he's got a lot to do with it. So let's talk about it. Oh well, yeah, I mean, um, it the uh, Star Trek posits a society with uh, sort of utopian goals and a uh, multicultural equality. Um, I do remember in the in college I was involved in a student protest. We were protesting some sort of you know financial finagling that the regents were doing at the time to, you know, make college more expensive and less accessible, all that. And, you know, we we're lefty hippies and we we're protesting something. Someone wrote up a charter um, outlining the, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the tenets of our, uh, of our protesting group, very, very much like a bill of rights for which everyone is in, in you know, uh, deserves respect and all, of all races and all that stuff. And uh, someone in the group, you know, was saying like, "This is very Gene Roddenberry." And then someone else <laughs> in the group had to um, had to push back and uh, mention and and state that, uh, well, yes, it is. But let's remember that uh, Gene Roddenberry was operating within the capitalist system and the capitalist <laughs> ideals, and be, uh, it could have, and it totally could have, you know sidetracked into a whole not entirely relevant debate about whether Star Trek is really utopian or not. <laughs> sure. But I think, um, I think there's... But, there's... I think, but, the thing, but the thing I can is, is, yes, he was working in a, uh, in a capitalist system and he so he made very meaningful, I think, uh, you know, deviations or you know a attempts to change things within that i mean it was you know he wasn't just like saying like burn it all down and let's oh yeah uh, create uh create a new thing yeah no i mean i think what and what i meant by i think i meant that the uh the post-capitalism is is in in the society that he created right and just the idea that post-capitalism yeah. like everybody's taken care of everybody has a job if they want one there's no such thing as hunger blah 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 they Seem to have there seems to be no such thing as racism at least on the planet itself, uh, planet Earth itself. Um, and you know, and they have you know, for lack of a better word, a lot of progressive views that then, <laughs> interestingly enough, as the shows go on, keep running up against this militarism. Militarism that I think is is really a fascinating discussion yeah. to have. Um, but eventually, but right now, um, so it's a bit. It's got a lot of post capitalist hope. Um, you know and. I think maybe we can talk about some of the unpack some of the badder stuff at the end there. There's a lot of sort of white colonial bullshit still going on, but whatever. We can talk about we'll talk about that some of the time um, uh, later in the show. 
and it is definitely obviously reflected in the casting. I think everybody's talked about that to death. But there is this interesting tension between action versus thinky, right? Um, and sure, yeah, and that that Star Trek faces really pretty directly head on in a ways that, like, for example, like Star Wars does not. Right? Star Wars, if it gets anywhere near thinky, is a little bit about faith, I guess you could say. Right. But, like, it ain't fucking thinky, right? It isn't about, like, right, right. let's think about why Darth Vader is, like, why he's Darth Vader. It's very – it tries to be much more emotional-based. It's about family – familial relationships and, and you know, and, oh, by the way, there's this galactic senate and, or an, and there's an empire and they're bad and they're good and who gives a shit? Like, they don't – it does not care. Um, yeah. I mean, that's why I think Star Trek is great and because – um, it always at least tries to have a moral perspective, you know, or something or something to think about through that lens. Um, just as you know, as you just say, you know, Star Wars does not have especially good morals. <laughs> There's a lot about. Nope. <laughs> something about faith. But yes, it's a lot about, you know, shooting faceless stormtroopers in the name of something an ideal yeah and um, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't think about these things too much and in star trek they, there's more of this uh you know constant uh, conflict between the demands of having sort of a exciting adventurous things happening and uh really uh you know uh contemplating those things and spirits of science and discovery and tolerance and all those yeah, and it really, it, it, and it really does 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 a pretty good job of trying to and confronting those things. And like I said, it, I think it comes down in some some strange some strange places sometimes when they, especially when they try to sort of address oh certainly certain things. But at least they are paying a hell of a lot of lip service and time to it, right? To the point where, and this is another thing we can start talking about, right? Some of the established tropes that this that this franchise unleashes into the universe and one of them is the prime directive right and again Hmm. this is not unknown in in science fiction writing at the time but still at least it certainly popularizes right this idea this non-interventionist idea that like what happens when you have a super you know if we're going to assume that there are super advanced spacefaring societies they'll if and there's a bunch of other ones running around and that probably means on a scale there's going to be some that aren't spacefaring and aren't and aren't, you know, up to the galactic snuff kind of sort of speak, sort of speak. So how do the um, <laughs> how do the super ninja folk who have got spaceships and lasers and teleportation and shit deal with the primitive rock beating, you know, or whatever, or just you know, you know, pop gun having civilizations? And so it's really great that right. Star Star Trek really just shoved that front and center and 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 made that again not just not just part of the not just part of the fabric of the show, but it, it was so important. It, it became a thing. Like if you say the prime directive to most people, I think even non-geeks will have a vague, at least it'll ring a bell, right? And certainly at a certain oh, yeah. time period, everybody knew what it was, I think. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, it's essential. And to, you know, uh, you know, to prevent these cataclysmic cultural conflicts that could happen otherwise. And I was thinking about the prime directive a little bit today. Like it's, it's interesting because, uh, like it's it's a it's a driving idea in the show and it's it's sort of framed in the negative right it's like saying don't do this like don't right. non-interference is the is is the directive um but then i was thinking like um in a sense so so is the first amendment it's a bit like the first amendment which is just we won't frame we'll not infringe the right to speak yeah yeah to infringe 
this thing. So it's a, it's a it's bit like the concept yeah. of freedom of speech. You know, the, each interesting each uh, species that we encounter has their own freedom of speech concept that we shall uh, not interfere with. Right. Um, so there might there might be a parallel there, which I think is hmm. cool. That is interesting. I didn't. I never. I never. I didn't. I definitely never drew that parallel. But that's so. That's a good point. I mean, and it is. I mean, and it's. And you can also tell certain writers. And they're always who, violating it too. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. Certain writers are much more interested in, in like giving that lip service, and certain writers are really interested in trying to explore what that would actually mean um, in different episodes, and maybe even in some of the movies. Um, I mean, I of course am I'm I'm picky as shit, and it, it it does always disappoint me when I think the writers who are just sort of giving it short shrift, I think it does a bit of a disservice to the to it sometimes. But but it, again, if nothing else, at least it's fucking there. Because again, if you talk about a lot of different science fiction shows, they they don't even they don't even have a moral compass. Like I mean, look, I love right. I love me some Doctor Who, but like. That motherfucker just flies around doing whatever the shit he wants, basically, right? <laughs> and I know right. you don't, you don't, you're not, you don't watch a lot of it, but like, and they sort of start have literally, literally just this last season was maybe, well, maybe not this, maybe not just this last season, but the last two or three seasons uh, out of a fucking fifty years is the first time they've ever even questioned whether the doctor should do whatever the fuck it is he wants to do at any moment in time, <laughs> right? Basically, and so that's like forty seven years of the doctor just fucking all, fucking around. So, um. Speaking of that, there's another small parallel to Doctor Who, which is, uh, I think, uh, that was definitely established by the original series, but then really dug in hard with the the Next Generation series, which is the the science speak or the techno babble. Now, I have a, I have uh, for those of you that been listened for a while, I have a bit of a personal connection to some of the character actors from the Next Generation and Deep, Deep Space Nine, and that is actually technically what those actors call it. They call it techno babble. Like you have to. And also straight from a casting director who cast for Star Trek, one of the things that they do to make, for any reoccurring cast member is they hit them in the first audition with like a the like a big ass techno babble speech to see if they can handle it. Um, oh, and but when Voyager when when Voyager was announced, there was no captain attached, and uh, the, a lot of the other cast got announced before the captain was announced. Everybody thought that was, you know, super cool planning. But actually what the, the thing was is there was a huge internal debate about whether um, uh, Kate Mulgrew could handle the techno babble because she had blown two or three auditions. Uh, hmm. And uh, I can't remember which producer uh, was not sold on her and on that very specific thing. Um, and I can't remember. I saw an interview with her or something uh, somewhere where she'd mentioned that. So like – it came down to the wire before they pulled the trigger uh, to hire her, um, and they were because they were very disappointed with her techno babble abilities. But anyway, so science speak, and again, look, Doctor Who has this as well, but Doctor Who even hand waves it even more. Like sometimes Star Trek, look, I I really hate it when Star Trek invents their own science. They do it all the time, um, yeah. and, and sometimes they invent their own science around shit that already has an explanation, which makes me super angry. But. Um, uh, but look, Wait. Doctor Who hand waves shit much more than fucking even um, even Star Trek does. Like to the point where Doctor Who in the for the third Doctor Dom, you won't know this. Uh, they it, it becomes a joke. Everything became for the third Doctor reversing the polarity of the neutron flow. Like li- literally had to show mm. up in a bunch of episodes right. for no reason other than they knew it yeah, was a so- joke. That was solved everything. It solved everything like, for whatever stupid. Like reason. ejecting the warp core. Usually yes, solves things <laughs> right, exactly. Or at least threatening the the warp core. Or um, oh fuck, what was it? I just did a watch through of Deep Space Nine, and it was always a uh, oh, that's a what it's containment a, breach. Deep Space Nine's Voyager. Oh, 
you you binged Deep Space Nine. I did. I binged Deep Space Nine. I I was going to maybe start Voyager. Uh, do Voyager. I got like two episodes in and like just decided no. I'm actually binging. For those that are keeping track of Morrison's science fiction TV show binging, I am now binging the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh Doctors in order. So, alrighty, I switched over. Um, I'll get. I might get back to Voyager, but anyway, yeah, it was always yeah, and it's always like they have a warp core breach, but no, there's a very specific ah fuck. I should have written it down. There's always a specific thing that's always going wrong about a coupler or some shit. But anyway, doesn't matter. Um, so the techno and, battle. Wait, this may be controversial, but are any of the captains really good at techno babble? I think that's what they have a science officer for. Oh, right, yeah, I mean, no. I thought the captain says, But the actor know, still has casting. to spew... They, they, they still have they to have spew to, it. doesn't have to be good at saying stern things and, you know, making every decision an incredibly difficult and long one. Well, but, um, I, in, the first ep- in the first two episodes of Voyager, it gets... Uh, yeah, again, because I literally just watched them, like, a couple of weeks ago. Janeway has a lot of techno babble because, like, they're stuck, right? The whole point of Voyager is that, like, they get stuck on the other side of the universe, right? And there's, and they come up with this goofy science reason, right? So she talks a lot. And actually, Janeway is very sciencey compared to the other captains, at least for my money. Um, I don't, I can't remember if she actually is supposed to have, is come from a science background, but she's very super techno talky, um, at least in the first two episodes. Um, uh, hmm. uh, and I, don't remember i mean i watched like the first two seasons of that when it first dropped but went to college and whatever life took over anyway sorry so other tropes besides i want to add a quick point i'm really oh please oh i just want to add a quick point i'm really glad you uh, said that about the audition process because one of the things that i think is uh great and again we were talking about star trek you know unconventional casting and pulling people for uh, pulling actors that you uh, might not necessarily see in their ordinary circumstances um like i think star trek is a really good uh test of acting skill because of the techno babble. I mean, you know, there are a lot of different ways of gauging who's a good actor or not, but you could argue that like a lot of people can pull off or you could say Shakespeare being able to navigate your way through Shakespeare's text, or, you know, a lot of people can pull off the speech about my mom dying or whatever actor really doing work, especially in the science fiction genre is when they, uh, to rattle off all these nonsense terms and make you <laughs> think that they really believe what they're saying, like, and they yeah, know what they're talking they, about, and they can. And much more importantly yeah, for really me is that like, you there. Yeah, they, they not only do they know what they're saying, they 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 appear to have a knowledge even greater than this little techno speech that they're giving. You know what I mean? Like they could actually sit down yeah. and talk more about astrophysics than this one little speech says and that's that is you're right that is a yeah. that's a very it's a and tricky I thing to do i like i don't even feel like the majority you know even given that uh that casting test i don't feel the majority of star trek actors are selling me on the idea that this, some of them don't uh, definitely you know, do better than others that's for damn sure yeah uh, but but for example picard is brilliant at it and um, yep. another you know just just being able to say, oh, yes, of course, it's the inception of the, you know, techno babble inside the science thing. And and you're like, wow, that is really happening. That is really happening to you, Picard. And I think yeah. that's one thing that they're getting right in the in, in the new Discovery series, among other things, um, I suppose. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to note that. It's, <laughs> no, I hear you. Um, some 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 really good actors. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. To do that stuff well. Yeah, no, absolutely, hundred um, percent. 
I th- so another thing I want to unpack because I, do, I don't I don't hear a lot of everybody talking about it as much is the other trope. One of the other tropes they established that I think a lot of other shows then picked up on is this: what does it mean to be human character or theme? Right? Like you know, in the, obviously, and and each episode, each each series has one. Right? Um, Discovery so far doesn't, which is interesting. I'm interested to see what happens there. Um, but obviously, in the original, it's Spock. Spock has to learn what it means to be human data obviously in deep in in this in next generation odo is that in deep space nine but then it's kind of taken over by Worf after odo gets gets a little i don't know why they get bored with him or whatever they throw Worf in there who takes that up obviously in voyager it becomes seven of nine um uh i don't know if somebody's really holding on to that before she shows up um I never watched a stitch. This is where I just. This is where I say. I, this is where I confess. I never watched a single second of Enterprise, so I don't know if there is that character in Enterprise. As I said in Discovery, um, uh, I don't think that character has been revealed yet. If they are going to ha- follow that theme, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it to well, me. In Discovery, I think it's the lead, unless you're specifying. It oh, has that's to a be good a point. Character who is not. No, you are absolutely right. Actually, human. A hundred percent. You are right. It's a human who has to learn to be a human. That is exactly what they're doing. You are but so smart. But they're coming at it from a different angle, for sure. Yes. And, and that's why I think which it's is nice. rather clever. Which yeah. is clever. Which is clever. And you're, yeah. very, you're totally dead on. That's right. Yes, the lead uh, and, of the show. And that's another thing about the Star Trek Utopian Society is that, um, you know, one of their favorite motifs is this, uh, you know, uh, a, a biracial person in a way by mix mm-hmm. of two cultures where you know their favorite thing is half Vulcan and half human or half Vulcan and half Romulan they love this thing and so they sort of imagine this world and then mm-hmm. it in which uh, you know hoppas are everywhere Hapa yeah I was about to say that it is that's true it's a real hoppa universe most, yeah, yeah be- it becomes the most uh, you know compelling sort of character arc that we can watch and or, that's, or- that's again in a different way in discovery or taking or taking the character out of their culture, but like even Worf, right? Worf is a Klingon raised by humans, right? Like it's they love yeah. doing that shit. Um, and so now we've got a human that was raised by Vulcans in Discovery, which is interesting. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, and really, yeah, it's a, I love it. It's a, it is. I think it's a Hoppa. It's a Hoppa universe. Um, just not say it's new. They might come up with an even more alien character. This uh, is true. In, but I think that's the, you know, the the seed of that they're 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 planning with her. Right on. That's that's a, that's a really great that's a really great point. The other th- uh, another trope I definitely want to talk about is like the well dressed science fiction folk, right? Like, look, the, the next generation. I mean, not the next generation. Sorry, the original series, man. There's they're, they're pretty styling, man. Like, particularly their hair. <laughs> like, the hair is on fucking point in the original series, man. Like, I don't care what you say. Uh, you know, fucking, they got the fucking Beatles bowl. They got the Beatles bowl cut on Spock going, uh-huh. basically, which is pretty awesome. They let Kirk have his little, you know, Superman swoosh. Bones has yeah, got yeah, the yeah. short. He's got the sort of short, short military look kind of going on. Scotty's got a little bit of a bushy thing going, but that's pretty great. But and Chekhov, you know, he's Russian, so they make him, they make him look a little silly, but he's fine. And Sulu looks, you know, super trimmed and badass. And the ladies, man, they're fucking Uhuru's got that fucking almost half beehive thing in the first first season. Um, the nurse lady, she's got some badass hair going on. I mean, it's it's yeah. pretty stylish shit. Um, and it really kind of like going to a classy cocktail party, you know, in the twenty fifth, sixth century, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> they would never be described as a ragtag band of rebels. Exactly, <laughs> they're like the opposite of that concept. 
Exactly. And that's and it's like it, no, we get our uniforms and they're synthesized by our molecule synthesizer things and they fit perfectly. Right. And they're not um, cheesy silver, everything's gotta be reflective silver that was really going on in the fifties and the sixties in terms of costume design. It was the uniforms look like they look like uniforms outside of the fucking mini skirts on the ladies. That's a let's okay, whatever. Let's Bit of, well, a, yeah. bit, of, bit of a bit of a problem there, but other than that, they they look like uniforms and they look they look snazzy as shit, dude. And then they also have like the casual wear, like when it's when fucking Kirk shows up in some fucking terry cloth shirts and shit. Mm. Um, yeah, they look they they're yeah. they're stylish, man. They got piping and it's it just it's um it sets a bar for costume design for science fiction in a, in a really really good way, and it and it still feels like fabric and it it doesn't they didn't succumb to like the bullshit. You know, they, they look. They succumb to the bullshit blinky lights everywhere else, um, and this, and but not too many. You know, the the hallways are nice, a, a gunmetal gray. They're not stupid, slicky. You know, chrome, fake chrome, or or silver, or reflective materials. Um, mm-hmm. And that I think there's always a color theory involved. Even in there their, is a color you know, theory involved. Coding of their costume. That's a wonderful observation. <laughs> I I was yeah no, it's something that styling. I think it, I think it super matters, and then it leads to. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, the red shirts, right? So this whole thing, mm-hmm. again, if you go up to somebody and say a red shirt, uh, you you might miss a few people these days, but certainly back at a certain time period, everybody knew what being a red shirt meant. It was a these, this show managed to actually um, uh, codify cannon fodder in an interesting way, right? Like, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Um, which is pretty badass. We really needed another word for cannon fodder. Hey, man, nobody was using it, so now you get red shirt, right? Which is pretty, which is pretty great. Um, and and again, but that what's awesome about that is that is that's a fan observation that is born out of the costume design, right? Again, the reds, the reds, the reds originally were mm-hmm. that's my dog, people. Um, the reds are security, right? Uh, that's my dog Watson. Um, uh, but um, yeah, or the security folk. Uh, but again, they looked militaristic and. Uh, you know, again, good casting with those guys. You know, they were they were good cannon fodder, right? And it was it became a real, a real strong presence. And on top of that, then we can let's let's quickly slip over to the insignia, right? Which becomes really important, right? Like so much so that by mm. pretty much by Deep Space Nine, like the the Star Trek, I don't know what it is. I call it the Star Trek triangle. Do you have a or a Star Trek swooshy triangle thing? The Starfleet. Emblem? The Starfleet emblem, yeah, thing. Like it is. it's, it's. I don't. Know, I call it the triangle. I don't know. What do you do? You have it? Yeah. Is there a name? I'm sure, there's a name for it. I don't. I don't know what it is though. I don't know. It's, it's like a, it's a. It's a crescent moon kind of turned upside. I no. That's fine. Starfleet insignia. I don't. I don't know. Sure, what else Starfleet insignia. <laughs> the insignia is really it's, is really groovy, and like I said, it sort of eventually becomes because when Star Trek was launched, it was just sort of like everything else. Like the title font is sort of what represented the show, but very quickly, and I'm trying to remember when that happened. I don't know if that was around. The next generation or if it really wasn't until like deep space nine or whatever that i mean like to the point now where the discovery logo is like 90 percent insignia and like barely the word star mm. trek and though even the word discovery is pretty is pretty much under it right i mean yeah. um it's a real beautiful well, without, design it's a beautiful design and without agonizing over the idea that it may be that nike swoosh just turned on its side <laughs> It's not. It's not. It's not. But, but I think there was something about the next generation that the, that when they uh, went with the badge communicators, the badge, yeah, the bloop, and, the smack um, of the badge communicator. The insignia also had 
utility and ah, represented in that's literally a your communication to the whole of Starfleet that became kind of achieved more uh, power in that sense. And like uh, one of my you know happy moments in watching the first episode of Discovery was when it comes in again in the opening scene. I won't even say how it does, except the insignia is a big deal in one of the opening scenes when we're just meeting uh, mm -hmm. the captain and the first officer of Discovery, and sure. they do this thing, which lifts a little bit from a bit in Watchmen or other shows where people have been on a deserted planet and need to send a signal. Ah, yes, 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 now, I know, now I'm with you, yes, now I'm with you, I guess. Um, That's, yeah. But it's beautiful, it has that iconic power. It really you know, does, it like, really, really yeah. does now, it's really, um, I was surprised at how uh, sort of because when they sort of announced Discovery, that was the other thing they did is they sort of just like spun the spun the, the logo, uh, spun the insignia. And I was like, I got a little like misty connected to it. It was just really, I have more of, I have a real it's strong a connection moment. to that. Well, it's a misty moment. Well it's a played. nice, it's a nice, and it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful piece of work. And, and I think that again, that carries over, right? Like again, maybe people don't notice that in the Star Wars universe now, like, Everything has an insignia. Like every troop, yeah. every whatever has a little has a little. There's a rebel symbol. There's a death. There's a there's a, there's an empire symbol. And again, you know, you could say that. You know, I think that comes from. They're all descendant from descended from that fucking symbol. I mean, maybe that symbol owes a debt of gratitude to Flash Gordon's symbol or Superman's chest S or whatever. But I think as an insignia, it's like it's. I mean, probably the, the certainly in the science fiction universe, the most famous insignia out there. Um, and again, it establishes a trope that everybody else has now has to have one. Like all the, even in the expanse, like the there's a big insignia for for uh, yeah. all different stuff. You know, it's it's a, it's a thing. It became a thing because of Star Trek. Yeah, there are a lot of competing insignias right now. I mean, yeah, I'd be curious to know mm -hmm. when the where the Star Trek one falls in the timeline. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um. Okay, cool. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I don't want to be negative, but I do, I, I think there are some tropes that, that get established here that are, that are interesting to unpack that maybe aren't, that <laughs> that irk me, because I have a love-hate, like, look, people, I, I was a Star Wars kid, right? I, I, I did enjoy, I enjoyed Star Trek for a while, and especially when the next generation came, I got, that's when I really got attached, I, uh, I got attached to the original series because it was, you know, like a lot of geeks, it was a, it was a cool connection through my father. My dad enjoyed the show for whatever reason. He showed it to me. Um, we weren't, my dad was not an obsessive watcher. It's just like if it was on, he'd throw it on and he'd be like, you know, Star Trek, I know you like weird spaceshipy stuff. Come here and have a seat. Um, and I'd watch it, you know, I'd watch it with him. And that was pretty great until the next generation drops and that became my show my entry point and I watched that pretty pretty thoroughly but I was always a star a Star Wars kid um because there was always no matter how I, I guess it's just like the utopian vision of Star Star Trek always is, is always there and it's always bumping up against things and there's also some science fiction things mm. that I get I get I get I get angry at so one of the things and it's definitely what I've since learned is is part of the makeup of the original series is that and it's also probably a smart thing that Roddenberry did at the time period just because of special effects and budgets, which was this whole concept of only humanoid aliens, right? Only bipedal hmm. aliens that look like, that look like people, um, that look like human people, <laughs> excuse me. Um, and even as a kid, I was always like, where's the octopus people or where's the fucking <laughs> fish people or where's the whatever people, you know? Um, and, and, uh, 
because very quickly, I, I, I don't know, I have a, a big imagination, and I was always like, fuck this, why do they, why, and why does everybody speak English? Um, I mean, that's a science fiction problem for every show, not just, not just sure. Star Trek, for sure. But, like, more importantly, I wanted, like, squishy blobs of light that they had to freaking deal with, and occasionally they do deal with uh, one or, one or uh, something, a couple of weird things, but really, Roddenberry insisted yes. on bipedal, bipedal human aliens, um, and I was always a little pissed off, I wanted weirder shit going on, I guess. Did that ever right, bother you? Because even as a kid, you can when someone says alien to you, you start thinking, oh, things with like you know, blobs and like seven eyes. But yeah, uh, at least three arms, man. Come on, get three arms. Right. And there was something about uh, they they did have uh, non humanoid aliens, but they usually had some sense of danger or were a villain of that episode. Yeah. I, I believe. I mean, they uh, they had their share of blobs and like you know energy vampires and such but right lots but of okay but wait just for clarification are you saying are, are you saying that mm-hmm. uh, are you saying that that was in the charter of star trek the original show that they were they specifically wanted to have a lot of humanoid aliens yes i believe so now maybe i maybe this is maybe this is apocrypha but i do remember either hmm. someone to, i ah, shit i should have done i should have done my research sorry i just assumed this was this was this was common knowledge obviously maybe i'm totally wrong but i remember at some point oh, no, somebody I'm, mentioning I'm that gene roddenberry yeah i think gene roddenberry I believe, maybe even in this in the show bible was like no just humanoid aliens because that's what we can really pull off and also that's he thought thing. there was uh again he was you know he's, he's a great storyteller and a very smart storyteller right and, and he was i think he was mostly concerned with um not relationships, uh, the audience relating to the aliens as well. And he thought that would be the easiest, one of the easiest ways to do that was to make sure that they all looked at least, they were all at least bipedal and human. They can have weird makeup on and weird outfits and shit like that, but like mostly that. Um, now, fuck, maybe I'm, maybe I'm totally wrong here. Um, and uh, I don't, ugh. okay, no, no, now I feel bad. Just, I, I was just thinking more of like the, what effect does that have as long as we're talking about um, tropes in science fiction? You know, what's what, what whether, whether it was intentional or not, like what is the, uh, effect on, on that and how we consume science fiction do we just expect th- it all i think so aliens? i mean a lot of i mean I, I it's hard for me to think of like a really good sci-fi show that i feel look doctor who's been on for so long and they just did not give a fuck right there they'd throw they'd throw a motherfucker in a rubber suit anytime that's one of the things i enjoyed about mm-hmm. doctor who was like there's a lot of aliens that just feel really alien like they just <laughs> feel like very human at all and it's one of the great things that i like and i think in american science fiction i think it did i think it maybe did set a certain standard that that um it was we've all i you know i can't think of too many like sci-fi shows where there's like the aliens are really pretty far fucking out there you know what i mean um uh in terms of like just being super wacky and super weird and super super alien for example, um, where again, where, and again, that could be just visual, a visual situation, a visual problem, but like a lot of, I don't know, I enjoy a lot of science fiction stories, particularly first contact stories, which a lot of Star Trek episodes are, um, mm-hmm. you know, us having a little bit harder and, bit of a contact. Okay. And you're and mm-hmm. and now that I think about it, yeah, eight out of 10 times they show that first contact story. It is just some version. It's <laughs> just a human, human dude. Human thing human on their face, but, and, and they have a, but they have a special cultural ritual, which makes them, yes, makes them weirder, strange. Or they have, yeah, exactly. It's in probably, yeah, they don't want to unpack in every episode, the real world complications of what air they breathe and like, oh, you know, for sure. Our, and I don't you know, need that. I, eyes I, operate on 10 different, you know, <laughs> spectrum than humans. And they can't even like, 
look at each other without it's some fine. sort of toxic I, interaction. Anyway. Yeah, I, I think it's a bit I, – I, yeah, I, but I do think it did infect um, – sci-fi storytelling on television for in, in, in a slight you know in in that particular way um the other thing i want to want to definitely point out is <laughs> that that i don't know if it irks me but i have to talk about it as a as a former fight choreographer look there's now there's a thing in the universe called the kirk wound right like and it's only because of fucking the star trek next star trek the original series right like your kirk wound your hero wound or your shoulder wound look the hero wound was around before kirk that's that's fine but again it's crazy to me, like cannon fodder, like red shirt, like they, it became so used on that show, it became the Kirk wound, right, which is the shoulder wound or the little scratch across the chest that like rips the shirt. You're looking like you've never heard this before. No, no, this is, this is the one on your list I hadn't heard of, so please elaborate. Really? Holy shit balls. Yeah. Okay. I've Maybe. never heard the phrase Kirk wound. A Kirk wound? No, it's always a shoulder wound. Um, it's always... Uh, <laughs> You're a fight choreographer. You're going to hear phrases... I thought, but I remember. I, I thought I had this though. before. I was a fight choreographer. Okay, people, come on, you guys have got to people back me up in Facebook or on fucking. What, what, what's the Kirk wound? So the Kirk or... wound is a shoulder. The the hero always gets a shoulder wound that is just a wound to sort of slow the fight down a little bit to show that like you know they're vulnerable, but they it never affects them. It doesn't actually hurt them, but it's it's an actual wound that you can give your hero that doesn't slow them down. Look again, oh. this is not just a Star Trek thing, guys. But but. Okay, I guess I'm crazy here. I, I thought everybody had heard of a Kirk wound. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not me. No, no one has heard of it, but it definitely... But I Dom hasn't, for it, sure. exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. I mean, again, and it's very popular. It's Jeez. also very... He also can call it a hero wound, but I, I, I call it a Kirk wound. All right? Maybe that's me. I'm, I'm nuts. All right. And the last thing is, is fucking a, macking on the a alien. Spock radiation chamber problem. Probably. Where the wound is invisible, but you just have to accept that the character is dying in front of you. No, no, I don't or think so. That is, that is not. That's true, not. That's not a Star Trek trope. No. Here I am trying to make up tropes. Anyway, yeah, you are trying on. to make them up. Okay, the other thing is like macking on the alien, right? Like, I mean, that's that's a thing, right? I mean, at least from the yeah. original series, right? Got to mack on some alien and white dude colonial problem. We're not going to get into this bullshit. Enough of that. Yes, I, I guess the humanoid alien requirement really comes in useful there for macking on. Yes, absolutely. So like, well, we're basically shaped the same way, right? We can Kirk can. <laughs> this isn't going to be weird at all. Right? I mean, but think. Could you imagine? Would okay? Here's an interesting thought. Here's an interesting thought experiment. Would the show have tanked if Kirk was like making out with an octopus lady? Like if Kirk was like a pansexual. In like the six in the mid '60s, and he was willing. And for those maybe that watch that watch Torchwood or Doctor Who, there's there's a character named Jack Harkness, who admittedly is a pansexual, and he'll he'll literally fuck anything. That's the sort of joke. But would Star Trek the original series have died off if Kirk would have fucked anything? I mean, like he's obviously willing to Mm, fuck pretty much anything. But like, but like, what if like the fucking octopus lady shows up and Kirk is like acting exactly the same way he does the to the to the green skinned chick like come on tom work with me here what do you for, think for some reason i think that would have been like some would small be- victory for uh not for feminism exactly <laughs> but for something for tropes <laughs> no, I think for it's tropes of representation on tv Hey, two things I'll say to that. Well, uh, yeah, even uh, another thought experiment would 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 that have been more or less a scandal than the interracial kiss that they got on Star Trek, which point. was a very huge deal. Question. You know, it's well discussed yeah. in all the various documentaries. But yes, you know, that was a 
scandal at the time to the people of, oh, two different skin colors kissing. Right. That's what um, I mean. Like, even if just, like, even if, like, Kirk just threw off, like, maybe he does. I don't know. I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't. I don't know every original episode perfectly, so like maybe he does have an offhand comment where he talks about like nailing a fucking shark to puss or whatever the fuck. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. I but it would have been pretty cool. <laughs> you can't. You have to have the humanoid aliens to even enable that concept. That is that is limited, Dom. Come on. That's right, shapeshifters, right? And or whatever. They do do that gag in Galaxy Quest a little bit. Oh right? yes, definitely. Aliens. Right, I Definitely. I think that's that's the question they're 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 examining in the form of a joke. Like they're the aliens that have you know whatever uh, disguise, so they look like humanoids, but they're right. really you know tentacle creatures, uh, yes. slimy amoeba creatures. Not that yeah. there's anything wrong with being a slimy amoeba creature. Not they at have all. Their beauty standards too. We just don't know what they are. Exactly. And then they have some scene where they just like really get down and get like or, or screwing. However, they do it. Yep. Um. Begging so many questions. Sam anyway, Sorry, was that was that a trope? <laughs> I was. I yes, a little bit. I mean, Mackin on the alien, uh, whatever. But there it is. Okay. Holy crap, people! Um, it is a way of reaching across the aisle. It is exactly, yeah. <laughs> but reaching across and grabbing the other. Uh, anyway, all right. I'm not gonna stop. Yeah. I'm gonna stop there. All right, folks. Yeah. Uh, you've possibly. done it again. Possibly that too. Possibly that too. Um, Look, those are just some of the things that Star Trek has done for us. Uh, some good, some bad, some crazy, some lovely, some nutty. Um, and there's – God, again, we spent another hour, and I still feel like we could go another fucking 14 on this. And again oh, – there's much more. There's much more. There's always much more. Um, and again, this this – our new format here is we're really going to be unafraid to sort of drag things into each other. So um, – uh yes this is where i sort of tease next week um again we're in october sci-fi trope month so and there's a big sci-fi cultural event happening right now uh, along with my dog uh again um along watson is into it uh along with the new star trek series dropping there is a fucking what is it 29 years later a, a sequel to Blade Runner. Sequel to fucking Blade, Blade Runner. Runner 2049. That's right. Which so, what? Well, first, 32 years from now. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and original Blade Runner was supposed to happen about two or three years ago. Two, 2015 or 16. <clears throat> I can't remember. I just I just fell out of my chair when I rewatched it. I can't remember. It's already passed. That's all I know. That's all I know. That's all I can remember right now. Yeah. It's definitely over. Uh, we've definitely passed it. But um, so we're going to focus on Blade Runner, do a little Blade Runner. But again, w- our lines are going to be a little blurry. Um, you know, we may drag some more start. You know, again, we're talking about tropes, right? Like, and maybe we can even find mm-hmm. out in Blade Runner a couple of little Star Trekky things. Um, as we talk about that, what it will not be, folks, is a we are not a movie review podcast. Although Dom and I will do both of our level best to uh, to catch the new Blade Runner before that, um, we won't be reviewing that at all, twenty forty nine or whatever. So if that's what you're looking for, go somewhere else. Um, but otherwise, we'll be unpacking the tropes that Blade Runner set up, maybe, uh, and then you know it's going to get messy. Very exciting week two of mm-hmm. our sci fi trope month for October. All right, man. Any final thoughts you want to throw in on Star Trekky before? We close this sucker out. Well, I did. Uh, my final thought is I'm really enjoying the new series. And mm. um, for, to my mind, it's, I, I like to think they're uh, advancing on the Star Trek formula. It's definitely still in the formula, but they borrow 
ideas from a, from Battlestar and other things. And like, mm. you know, like uh, maybe Macross Frontier, which I babbled up, uh, about at one point, you know, it's still, mm. it starts to um, hybridize these things that are part of the evolution of science fiction before. Anyway, yeah. my basic wow. point wait is like, hold on, wait, I got to before you finish that thought, can you can you go back? What, what do you think they're hybridizing from Frontier? Just out of curiosity. Oh, no, 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 not 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 directly. Oh, oh, it's not direct. Okay, so it's just a cutting conversation. I was just using that as an example of a show that had a, a very set core. Anyway, basically, it's just the purest versus, you know, progressive. Uh, gotcha. The argument. I mean, I mean, it doesn't to me it doesn't feel too much like classic Star Trek, but I think that's no. I think that's cool. I think yeah. they've got they've got the soul and they're but they're uh anyway, I, they're throwing new things onto it and I really I really like uh, the idea of the show. Uh okay, cool. Those are our final thoughts. Uh next week Blade Runner. Uh usually we tease you a little bit with uh wouldn't tease you, it's not a tease at all. This <laughs> is completely self serving. We tell you what we're working on in our own wonderful geeky geeky careers. Um, as yeah, usual, at this point I'm, it's teasing myself. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, because again, pff, still still in post production on Joanne over here, my feature film. We're 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 moving forward, but uh, I'll sneak it out that I put together a trailer that nobody oh, cool. will see for a long time. But uh, I did cut a trailer together. Um, uh, anyway, so things move apace there. Um, we are in the final stages of our special eff- 308 special effects shots being finalized, so that's very exciting. Um, I just spent some time, and I'm going to toot my own horn here, just spent some time in Paris, ladies and gentlemen, pitching a VR project at a VR conference, um, which is very, which is a werewolf project that uh, maybe I'll be able to tell you guys about if it gets its funding, which is exciting. Um, mm-hmm. Doing stuff like that. Um, yeah. What's going on in your world, yeah. Dom? Let's see. I'm still on the novel. I'm still lurking around the internet, says Dom Ma, uh, <laughs> various writerly places. Uh, oh, the this uh, indie feature I uh, did, the I co-wrote the script on is coming out on video on demand very soon, I think, a week. Uh, super Powerless is yes. indie feature. Sort of a superhero movie. And, uh, uh, but in a very uh, independent film context. And uh, Cool. Um, and it's coming That's out huge. on video on demand on a bunch of different platforms, I believe within a week. Oh, nice. And actually, I got to, I got to go to uh, Salt Lake City uh, Comic Con and be part of a panel there, sort of the talking it up and also talk about middle-aged superheroes. Very so, cool, like, man. Yeah, oh, so that, sweet. That was pretty nice. So we're uh, so that's one thing. That's it. That's the cool. thing for this week. That's a pretty big thing, dude. Feature film dropping on VOD. People really, check really, really it out. Cool. Super powerless. I have not had a chance to check it out because it didn't make its way to Belgium, so that'll be great. Uh, hopefully, it'll, hopefully it will be on VOD over here. Um, the very few well, things. Well, everything on the different words on Belgium might be in theaters. I don't know. Uh, that's true. I mean, it's, it's possible. Really I don't know. I should have. I should keep it. I'll keep an eye out. You never know. It's shit. Who knows? It's a bizarre. It's a bizarre ecosystem over here, film-wise. Well, that's awesome. Mm. But, ladies and gentlemen, remember, we love you. Thanks so much for stopping by. If you, you. Lo- if you love us, please go ahead and do leave us a review on uh, iTunes podcast. It helps people find us. We got to the Facebook page. And again, even if you moderately like us, even if you moderately, you don't have to love us. No, we'll, we'll, we'll take your charity. We'll take your fucking pity as well, man. Just give us a pity review for God's sakes. Um, hit that like on the Facebook page and it does help other people find us as always comment, like subscribe. Thank you folks. We have been elevating the genre. I have been Christopher and that's been, Dama. Dama, and we will see y'all next week.
Ciao. Yeah, at this point it's teasing myself. <laughs>